you think you know what we're going to talk about. But unfortunately, I fell down a damn rabbit hole and I've not gotten out yet. <laughs> Knife bros. I literally googled Sebastian Stan hands. But just when you least expect it, we changed the game. Well, yeah, because like, usually in astrology, they would partner up air signs with fire signs. All right, you can, you can huggle. Time travel stories and... At the end of the day, only one thing matters. We decide. Well, we should make it a topic. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't take German in school. I barely took... I took Spanish and I don't remember any of it. Three Fates Decide podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Three Fates Decide. My name is Sam, and I'm here with my two co-hosts, Liz and Mary. Say hello, ladies. Hello. And today we are going to be talking about the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but we're going to be focusing on the movies as opposed to the books because only Mary and I have read the books, and it was so long ago that I really don't think that I could like go into depth uh, with it, and I know Mary, you said you kind of felt the same way, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna stick to the movies. Uh, we're gonna do all three, kind of you know, in case you know this is your first time. Pretty much when we do this, we do a quick summary, go over things that we liked, things we didn't, and we try and keep it moving. So, um, without further ado, oh, and just. In case you have never watched or read Lord of the Rings, spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they've been out for a while, so I, I hope, I really hope you've watched it. But just in case, we'll 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 say spoiler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So we'll start with the very first movie slash book, which is Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring, which came out in two thousand one. Right. I thought it was really interesting, like, before we dive into it, I thought it was kind of interesting just in general, like, how uh, the plan for the trilogy was that they were basically filming them back-to-back in an 18-month period, which I can see how it was a smart idea, because if you can gather the budget, you know, for all three movies now and spend it now, it prevents... Uh, the budget for the later movies to from blowing up to like ridiculous proportions, which is what tends to happen a lot. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And also, mm -hmm. you know, people age sometimes very, very quickly, and most of the actors are adults. So, yes, the time constraint within like you know the actual books and all that stuff, but like you don't want to have to hold off you know, five years, ten years down the line, and then people look completely different than what they should be. Right, and also, so. right, mm -hmm. right. Also, like, you know, some of the costumes could be reused, obviously, some of the sets, uh, things like that. So it makes well, sense. They, they built an entire town in New Zealand for it. Right, could you imagine if they had to maintain the quality for, like, you know, three or four years until they film the next movie like you typically would do? Yeah, but I'm like, they, they literally built Hobbiton in oh, New yeah. Zealand. Like, they built it. It's I, there. I want to go and see it. You yeah. can go visit. It's a tourist destination now. I know. It's pretty funny to think about. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, I guess like any other general comments before we start. Okay. No. Uh, okay. Uh, all right. So the quick and dirty summary, I guess we could say for the first movie. So the movie starts with like a prologue of sorts where we are introduced to the different races of this universe that we would know as middle earth and we get the quick history of the who are the villain who are the villains who are the heroes and um the great macguffin of sorts for the series which is the one ring and where it came from and uh the last owner of said ring well the last two owners of the said ring before the proper you know storyline starts was one Gollum, who then lost it to another character known as Bilbo Baggins. And that is where the story properly begins. So we get a fast forward from the prologue where we meet an older Bilbo and he's about to celebrate his birthday. And there's a big gathering in the village, the Shire, to celebrate said birthday. And uh, lots of shenanigans happen at the birthday party, which leads to a little bit of confusion when Bilbo uses the ring and goes uh, invisible. And eventually, one of the guests at the birthday celebrations is, is a wizard known as Gandalf the Grey. And he immediately suspects more shenanigans had happened. And realizes that, um, yeah, maybe my old friend might have the uh, the evil ring that pretty much everybody in this entire fictional world has been hunting after for centuries now. So after some advice, Bilbo decides to leave the ring behind with a relative of his, one... Uh, gosh. One... Um, Frodo. Frodo, yes. Sorry, one Frodo Baggins. Um, and uh, Frodo soon finds out what this mysterious ring is. And uh, with a bit more advice, um, Gandalf tells Frodo that uh, maybe you should leave here because, uh, again, this is the ring that pretty much everybody in this world is after, including uh, the being who made it, uh, Sauron. So uh, you may want to get out of here before innocent people get hurt. So the rest of the movie, we have Frodo trying to get the ring out of town and uh, go to the one group of people who may be able to help him, hopefully, which are the elves. Um, so along the way, he picks up a bunch of uh, hitchhikers. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love um, them, though. Yes. Uh, he, uh, he, he ends up picking up a bunch of stowaways who decide that, uh, hey, let's go on a road trip together with uh, Frodo. Uh, so he's followed by uh, Samwise Gamgee, who is his gardener, and two troublemaking hobbits who are... People he's uh, somewhat familiar with, Merry and Pippin. 
And uh, along the way, they are chased by the mysterious Dark Riders, who are also known as the Nazgul, and uh, who are the servants of Sauron. And their mission is, of course, to find the precious ring that everybody is looking for. Um, they end up stopping at a town called Bree, where they run into a mysterious man, who they know as Strider. And uh, fortunately, this mysterious man turns out to not be somebody who's out to kill them or steal the ring from them, because he ends up saving them from the said Nazgul who are on their trail. But unfortunately, in a second encounter, uh, poor Frodo gets injured very severely by a uh, Nazgul blade, which is, of course, conveniently enough, a cursed blade. And uh, you kind of need some uh, magic to uh, try to help heal that. Fortunately, they run into an elf princess who happens to be uh, pretty friendly with uh, Strider there. And she takes poor, poor Frodo off to visit her father, Lord Elrond, who happens to be the person that they're actually trying to get to anyway. Uh, so she manages to keep Frodo safe until she gets him to her father, where Frodo does get treated for his injury. And eventually Strider, who we eventually find out his real name is actually uh, Aragorn, and the other three hobbits have finally arrived. Uh, because, of course, since Frodo's carrying the ring... Nazgul are chasing after him, so they're able to get to uh, Rivendell, the uh, elf uh, kingdom, without too much trouble. So once Frodo is well enough, uh, he joins a meeting that has been organized uh, with representatives from different kingdoms and races in Middle-earth, to decide what to do about this uh, evil magic ring that everybody is after. And uh, after a lot of uh, rounds of argument, uh, they eventually agree that um, the only thing to do with this evil ring is you got to destroy this thing because it's going to corrupt anybody who holds this ring for too long. And of course, as long as the thing exists, Sauron is going to keep chasing after whoever has it in order to get it back. So they decide, okay, let us do the most dangerous thing, which is to go to Sauron's home turf and drop it in a volcano. And, uh, of course... Everybody just starts arguing again over who should be the one to do this dangerous mission. And eventually, Frodo said that, you know, basically, since he's been carrying this thing this whole time, he may as well go all the way to the end with it. And so the rest of the movie have this fellowship going through more adventures where they're going to drop it and destroy the thing. They get, they get to, um, I forget, what is the name of that? I forget what was the name of it. Talking about the Mines of Moria? Yes, that's right, the Mines of Moria. They um, get pursued by more agents of Sauron and uh, secretly also uh, agents of Saruman, who is another wizard, who was sort of friends with Gandalf, 
But uh, unfortunately, it turns out he has turned evil and he wants the ring for himself, which Gandalf learned the hard way earlier in the movie. But now we know he is also after the ring as well. So now they're being pursued by two different groups of uh, orcs and monsters and things. And they end up going to the Mines of Moria, which was initially not an idea that they wanted to do, but it got to the point where they had no choice because, again, they're being pursued by two different groups of monsters, basically. And it turns out the Mines of Moria are a death trap because instead of a hearty welcome by a bunch of dwarves who happens to be relatives of the dwarf representative in the Fellowship, uh, pretty much everybody that lived in the Mines of Moria have already been killed by trolls and whatnot. So now they have to make their escape through the mines to get away. And unfortunately, they have one giant Balrog to deal with. And Gandalf makes the noble sacrifice to be the last one to leave in order to give the others time to escape. And he falls down a chasm with said Balrog to his apparent death. So the Fellowship managed to make their way out of the mines and they find themselves uh, in another forest where they are given a bit of a break by some more elves of a different elven kingdom called Lothlorien. And um, they are greeted by the king and queen there. And uh, yeah, they get their little break. Uh, Frodo gets um, some advice from the queen, uh, Galadriel, who warns him to be careful uh, with the ring because it is slowly going to corrupt him as he, you know, as long as he keeps holding the ring. And eventually they leave to continue on their journey. And of course, even though they're not the ones actually holding the ring, uh, the ring's evil aura has been slowly corrupting one of the other members, uh, one Boromir, by feeding on his honorable desire to protect his own kingdom. He was initially summoned um, to the meeting as a representative of one of the human kingdoms, and he was hoping to get his hands on the ring as a weapon to help defend his kingdom from Sauron's forces. And of course, the ring, being an evil ring, has kind of sensed his desire and has slowly corrupted him. And he attempted to steal the ring from Frodo, which causes Frodo to run away, and eventually Boromir snaps out of it and realizes, oh my gosh, what did I do? Which is unfortunate timing overall, because that's when some of these orcs and monsters finally caught up with them, and they have an all-out fight trying to make sure that they don't capture Frodo. And the movie ends with the Fellowship completely split up, where Frodo and Sam uh, flee... Uh, to try to continue the mission alone. Uh, the other two hobbits got mistaken as being the ones that are carrying the ring, so they got kidnapped by the orcs and trolls. Boromir dies trying to defend uh, Frodo and help making sure he can get away. And 
Aragorn, uh, Gimli, and uh, Legolas, who are the three other members. They are torn between who to chase after, but they finally decide to go after Merry and Pippin because they are under the belief that as long as Sam and Frodo are able to get away unnoticed, they may have a better shot at getting to Mount Doom with just the two of them in a smaller party rather than a larger group. So that is where the first movie ends. You know, for for first movies, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> like, you know, like you get a lot of like these trilogies or whatever. And, you know, it's always kind of like the slow startup or whatever. I enjoyed the whole thing. And maybe it's because it's like that, you know, not like science fiction, but, you know, it's like that. It's so different. Thank you. Yeah, fantasy type thing that, like, you kind of get sucked in immediately. Oh, yeah, it's a real fantasy adventure story. I mean, mm-hmm. it is, I mean, it is, like, technically the, one of the uh, fantasy stories that kind of, all the other f- later fantasy stories kind of modeled themselves off of. They wish they could do it as well as Tolkien did. Oh, Yeah. I mean, you know, even though the whole concept of, like, the the party of characters, you know, adventuring together, going off, you know, fighting mm-hmm. monsters and going on a mission and stuff like that. I mean, you know, every fantasy game that we've all played or heard of, you know, has that trope mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. I mean, even the characters, they conveniently have different personalities, different uh, quote-unquote class types, if you will, different races, different weapons, skill sets they have. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's the party. Yeah, Yeah, seriously. Literally, Tolkien wrote the perfect story. And everyone that's come after has tried to emulate him, and some have come close, but none have ever come... None have ever done it as well. They try. They try. They they try. They come close. I've had a few come real close that I've read over the years. But Mm -hmm. none have ever reached Tolkien's level. No. Nope. Peter Jackson, I think, did an amazing job of staying as close to the first book as as possible without cutting out too much yeah no i thought he did a great job mm-hmm. you know back when you used to actually buy dvds and you would watch the behind the scenes stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> like you saw how in love with these stories he were he was so mm-hmm. he wanted to make sure that it was done right and yeah. i know like there's some people you know especially like the avid book lover who didn't like the movie because you know or movies the trilogy as a whole because there's characters that are missing and you know things are different but people need to remember that when it's from a book to a film adaptation if the character isn't that detrimental to the storyline they're not going to make the cut right the important characters were in there and that's really all Mm -hmm. that mattered I mean, I would have liked to have seen maybe a few more of the songs and stuff be put in that Tolkien had written. 
but mm-hmm. I can completely understand why they didn't put all those in there. You know, but yeah. there's a few, and I, I don't remember them all now. It's been so it's been a long time since I've read the books, but there was a couple of them that I wished kind of gotten put in because they were just hauntingly beautiful to read. So I can just imagine what they would have been like to to hear it. That was a small loss in a one in a good in a really good movie. Yeah. No, I I agree 100%. 100%. I have to say though that um in terms of the visuals, it is really amazing like uh how everything looked in the movie. I mean, you start to wonder which parts are purely sets in a mm-hmm. studio. And which parts are actually uh, outdoors in New Zealand at times. And what's crazy is, like, New Zealand was kind of like, here you go. Like, just do what you need to do. Yeah. You know? I mean, and they like, shot all over the country. They really did. And they would fly, you know, uh, some trivia was they would actually take helicopter rides to, like, remote locations to film some stuff. Mm-hmm. And as Mary had mentioned, like, they, they built Hobbiton a year before production so that it actually looked natural. Mm-hmm. So like that was a set that's also not real. Like, y- you know, like it, it just made it feel even more real. So yeah, like I agree, especially for that time, you know, we're talking about the late 90s. Yeah. It's late nineties, really, early 2000. Yeah. They filmed it from 99 to 2000 till the end of 2000. Yeah crazy but no i agree with you uh liz i thought it, it it really is hard to kind of tell which one's which but they did have all that beautiful land out there it's one of the reasons mm-hmm. why i want to go to new zealand is because of lord of the rings i know same same <laughs> yeah i mean one of the funny one of the things that i thought was kind of funny um is the fact that they use new zealand to film it which i kind of get because you know peter jackson is is a, is a Kiwi, I guess you could say. Um, so he probably did, you know, was able to get some kind of in, uh, you know, in terms of, like, permission to film in some of the outdoor locations. But um, I just thought it was really interesting how the in the book, like, apparently, I forget which exactly which part of England it is. Off the top of my head, maybe you guys might remember or something. But, um... When Tolkien wrote the novels, he was picturing a certain part of England as, uh, you know, Hobbiton, you know, the Shire in general. So it, it is a bit funny to me how, like, you know, he had certain locations as his inspiration uh, for the locations in the novels and then filming it in a completely different country <laughs> to do the movies. And then... Oddly enough, from what my from what I read a few weeks ago, they initially filmed the upcoming TV series for Amazon in New Zealand, but apparently they're moving uh, production, including a lot of the sets they build, to England to film the second season. So I'm like, okay, now it's full circle. <laughs> You're going right back now. <laughs> now they'll see what it looks like. <laughs> It'll be interesting. One one of the with. You know, we talked about like all like the actors or whatever. This was actually um, Orlando Bloom's big break. Oh yeah, to film. He got casted like only a few days before he graduated drama school. 
What a first job that is. <laughs> right? I know, right? <laughs> well, I it was kind of uh, the same for uh, Billy Boyd and Dominic Monaghan. They had done things before uh, who played, Billy Boyd played uh, Pippin and Dominic Monaghan played Mary. Uh, both of them, I don't think they weren't real well known outside of England. If they were even, I don't think they'd had too many roles before this themselves either. If I, I remember correctly, I think I think that was pretty much their big break as well. And as we know, Dominic Monaghan went on to play uh, Charlie and Lost, as well as a few mm-hmm. other roles that I can't really remember now. It's been a while since I've seen anything with him in it. Yeah, I mean, obviously Elijah Wood's been acting since he was a child. Yeah, that that was one of the reasons actually why I wanted to watch it is because I used to love watching him when I was a kid. I, I'd like I think I'd seen like every movie he'd ever been in. Me too, probably. And Sean Astin, yeah, uh, has been acting since he was a kid. Yep, and he had a famous mom and everything. Well, famous yep. mom and dad, but really a famous mom, which was funny because that's actually that was my that was my nickname. That was what my dad used to call me, his mom's name, because my because of my middle name. That's funny. Yeah, because yeah, uh, Sean Aston's mother is um, the singer Patty Duke, an actress, and I think she was an actress as well as a singer. Yeah, she was an actress. Yes, she was. Yeah, and that my middle name is Patricia, so he used to call me Patty Duke all the time. <laughs> so, That's funny. Yeah. Um, you have uh, Vigo Mortensen, which God bless. Thank you. Thank you for putting him into that role. Yeah, well, of Aragorn. Um, here, here's here's a fun fact for you. He was not the original actor cast as Aragorn. I know. I'm so happy. <laughs> the original actor was Stuart Townsend, and unfortunately, there was um, like six days after they started filming, the, uh, there was this conflict or something happened. I don't not real f- remember now that. Um, Stuart Townsend stepped aside and they cast Vigo, which I think they made a much better choice when they went with Vigo Mortensen. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, he, he definitely played the stoic, you know, uh, archetypal, uh, humble hero pretty well, I would say. I mean, honestly, if uh, it didn't, you know, if it wasn't if it had been like later revealed that you know he wasn't the original actor in the role, like, you would have no idea. It just seemed like so perfect, really. Um, you have Sir Ian McKellen as Gandalf, who was fantastic. And fun fact, it was actually give the role was presented to Sir Patrick Stewart, who said no. He didn't like the script, and then it went to Ian McKellen. Which is pretty funny because they both are an X-Men and they're like really good friends and, you know. Yeah. yeah. Just passing off uh, roles to each other. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I, as much as I love Sir Patrick Stewart, I am, I mean, I'm a huge fan of his work. I cannot see him in that role as Gandalf. Mm-mm. I, I can't. I, I'm thankful he passed on it. Yep. And that they cast Ian McKellen. Because Ian, Sir Ian McKellen was absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. Yep. And oh, also uh Christopher Lee as yes. Sauron. Or not Sauron. 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 Sorry. 
I know they sound so similar. Sounds it him more. I, I know that I know. Yeah. He was absolutely fantastic. It's like he was, I hate to say that somebody was born to play a role, but those two were born to play their roles. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, they definitely, it, it definitely worked out the way that it should have. Yes. Um, there's obviously more actors. It's, it's quite a very extensive cast. Very amazing cast. I think everyone was casted perfectly. We're not going to go through everybody, obviously, but no. Um, yeah, I thought that the casting was great. Obviously, the sets and everything. I, there, I had no complaints. Same. I yeah. And that's hard. And that's usually a, it's unusual for me to say that, but I didn't find anything wrong with the film. It's like watching the movie. It's almost hard to imagine uh, any other actors playing the roles that you know they played in the movie. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's like it's, it's it's almost hard to picture you know anyone else as Gandalf or Frodo or Aragorn, Legolas, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it it it's hard. It's hard to picture it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else you guys want to add for the Fellowship <laughs> of the Ring? Nope, I'm good. All right, let's go to movie number two called The Two Towers. Ah, yes, The Two Towers. So, um, we get a little mix of picking up where we left off from the first movie, and we are also, as well, introduced to new characters and another subplot. So, um, the movie starts off with uh, Frodo and Samwise wandering uh, off, heading towards the direction of Mount Doom to fulfill the mission. And along the way, they are eventually being followed by uh, the previous owner prior to uh, Bilbo leaving behind the ring, uh, Gollum. Um, and eventually they realize that Gollum is following them and they confront him where Gollum proves himself to be so pathetic that Frodo was like, you know, we shouldn't kill the poor thing. Maybe uh, he could help us out. And of course, uh, Sam, uh, being the uh, good travel buddy that he is, is uh, pretty skeptical about this idea. But ultimately, he goes on with what Frodo wants because, you know, he is the ring bearer and, you know, kind of the uh, leader, if you will, of their group now. So, hey, if that's what Frodo wants to do, then let's go with it. Meanwhile, we then turn to uh, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, who are trying to chase after uh, the Boroks, uh, who had kidnapped Merry and Pippin. And uh, eventually, all of them end up in the kingdom of Rohan, where uh, some of the, uh, I forget, how, how do you pronounce it? Ro- Ro- Rohirrim? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, like yeah. how they, yeah, I think it's like Ro- Rohirrim or something like that. Riders, who are the soldiers of um, Rohan. We'll, we'll stick with that. Uh, yeah, it's like Rohirrim. Rohirrim, um, they discover these uh, monstrous intruders and battle takes place. 
And of course, Merry and Pippin uh, take advantage of the chaos and uh, manage to crawl away from the fighting deeper into the forest, which has uh, a uh, mis- have uh, has kind of a slightly sinister reputation to it. Uh, the Fangorn Forest. Eventually, Aragorn, Legolas, and catch up after the battle's over and they see all the smoke from the burning bodies and they basically try to ask uh, what is the deal here what happened and they found out about the battle and they ask about uh did you happen to see two hobbits and uh they're not sure maybe maybe not um of course they are very concerned that uh, the two hobbits have been killed, but uh, Aragorn, being a very good uh, tracker, scout, ranger, what have you, uh, uses his tracking skills to f- puzzle out that their hobbit friends actually crawled away and escaped further into the mysterious forest. And now they have to go into the mysterious forest to go find them. Um, while we're in Rohan, here is that, uh, additional subplot that I mentioned earlier. So we find out in the Kingdom of Rohan, things are, uh, not going very well, um, because the Wizard Saruman was originally a protector, a magical protector, uh, guardian, I guess you could say, of this particular part of Middle-earth, and, uh, he has noticeably not been doing a very good job because orcs are making more and more intrusions in the kingdom. And uh, the king is unfortunately uh, ill and has been getting advice from a very unsavory character who is uh, oh so affectionately known, affectionately known as Grima Wormtongue. Um, conveniently, the two princes of Rohan, one who is the son of the king, um, and the other one being the nephew, um, are unfortunately away from the capital, leaving behind only the niece, who is also princess of Rohan, Yoen. And uh, unfortunately, Yoen. It's Eowyn, actually. Yeah. Oh, Eowyn? Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's kind of hard. Like I, yeah, yeah, I know it sounds really difficult. It doesn't sound like it would be pronounced like that, but it is actually pronounced Aowen. Yeah, because like, I've heard like different pronunciations for some of these characters from like different people. So I'm like not sure anymore. Anyway, sorry. Uh, anyway, um, Aowen is the only person in the court who is uh, not liking what's going on, but unfortunately, she has very limited. Uh, ability to do much of anything and um also she's trying to avoid the attentions of grima who uh unfortunately is uh very a little too interested in her shall we say um eventually we find out um that some of the citizens of this kingdom who live in the outer uh edges of the border have become victims of more and more orc attacks um and there are indications that said orcs are uh working with saruman 
But unfortunately, Theoden is not very well and possibly cursed. Um, so he's not really doing much of anything, which is not very like him. But again, Eowyn is, uh, has very limited power, uh, despite the fact she's the princess. So, uh, then we turn to, um, a brief, uh, look into what's going on among the elves who are very concerned about, uh, the activities going on throughout Middle-earth, especially with, uh, the evil, uh, the, the dark side of the force, if you will, uh, starting to gain and gain more, more traction through the many different kingdoms, especially as uh, the ring is slowly getting closer and closer to Mount Doom. Then we switch over and catch up with uh, Merry and Pippin, who end up running into um, basically talking, walking, tree-like beings called Ents. And... Uh, they find out that the Ents have been the guardians of the forest and are basically the origin of some of the uh, slightly sinister uh, stories that have been going around about this forest. And uh, they're basically relatively peaceful uh, forest-dwelling um, beings who are protecting all the plant life and animal life of the said forest. And they generally don't want anything to do with all sorts of shenanigans happening outside of the forest. Um, and Mary and Pippin are trying to convince them that, you know, maybe you should uh, be concerned because this could affect you guys eventually. But of course, the Ents are so accustomed to being kind of isolationists that, you know, they're not quite convinced about this. And uh, it takes a little bit of trickery on the part of Merry and Pippin to make uh, them realize that actually um, this uh, growing conflict uh, with uh, Sauron and Sauron is slowly invading their forest because parts of their own forest have been cut down for Sauron's uh, war machine uh, building and construction which naturally upsets uh, the Ents, so they decide that, you know what? We're not going to sit around and take this, so they decide they're going to deal with Saruman directly, so they begin assaulting uh, Saruman's uh, stronghold, Isengard, which is one of the two towers uh, referred to by the title of this movie. And eventually they did... Uh, defeat Saruman, uh, which is great. Um, but of course it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a standoff kind of siege because even though they did basically defeat, uh, the orcs still, um, hanging around Isengard, uh, they basically have Saruman trapped in his tower. Then we switch over to, um, Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli. They've been pursuing after Merry and Pippin, and they're pretty close to catching up with them when they run into a mysterious person in a cloak, which is not something you want to run into when you're in some spooky woods with a slightly sinister reputation to it. 
But they get lucky, and it turns out that this mysterious person in the cloak is actually the previously assumed dead Gandalf, who it turns out actually survived his battle with the Balrog that we saw in the previous movie. And somehow along the way, he no longer was uh, Gandalf the Grey, but he turned into, uh, he got a serious power up and has turned into Gandalf the White, and he's pretty much the same ranking as Saruman at this point, since Saruman happens to be a Saruman the White. Um, Gandalf advises the three uh, members of the Fellowship that actually, it's great that you guys are trying to rescue uh, Merry and Pippin, but um, actually they're kind of okay where they are right now. Um, in fact, we should actually be heading off to deal with... Uh, something that is a little bit of a bigger problem, which is the shenanigans that are happening um, in the capital of Rohan, which uh, I briefly talked about earlier. Um, so the now four members of the Fellowship head off to the palace to help out the sick, cursed king. And uh, after a bit of a confrontation in the throne room, they expel Grima and released Theoden from his uh, bewitchment. And he kind of wakes up and realizes, oh my gosh, um, I did things that I really shouldn't have done. And uh, he finds out all the things that had been going on that was not good, which includes... Uh, Eowyn's brother uh, being banished and his son being killed in a battle with the orcs. Um, and oh, by the way, there are more orcs heading into the kingdom. Uh, we kind of need to do something about it. So they come up with a plan to evacuate the capital, which they feel is not as well defendable, um, uh, not, well, uh, not as uh, defensible. Uh, defendable um, because they are a horse riding culture and they don't have you know castles with like huge walls made of stone so they head off to an old um, stronghold of Helm's Deep and decide to s prepare for battle there uh, and of course we do get an, a very epic battle where it got very close um, at points, but they did manage to uh, defeat the army of Saruman, who had been sent to attack. Um, with a little help of some elves who came along to assist, and also the previously banished riders who followed the banished prince. Um, and so... Oh, Amir. Yes. The the cavalry had arrived, so hooray. They win. Um meanwhile, we go back to Frodo and Sam. They are traveling further and further, closer and closer to Mordor and Mount Doom. Um they are almost captured a couple times by the Nazgûl until they run into uh some rangers who uh, are rangers of Gondor. 
um, including their captain, who happens to be a man named Faramir, who is the younger brother of Boromir. And um, Faramir was initially interested in the ring, like his brother, until Frodo basically explained to him uh, what happened to Boromir. And uh, ultimately, Bar- um, ultimately uh, Faramir decides that, you know what, for the best interest of everybody involved, uh, we should let the two hobbits go on with their mission and uh, try to distract the uh, Nazgul who are still following after them. Gollum is being a bit schizophrenic where um, he struggles between his original personality, which was actually a hobbit, who is uh, pretty, um, you know, shy and honestly a good person overall, and uh, the darker personality that is Gollum, who views the ring as their precious treasure and they must get it back at all costs. Um, but eventually the Gollum persona takes over again, and, uh, he plots to betray the two other hobbits in order to get the precious back. And I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a slight lead up to the third movie where we find out that the next battle that will happen is going to be, um, in Gondor, um... But I think that's pretty much it. Um, again, I liked it. Um, a lot of action in this one. Um, a lot of battles, especially that Helm's Deep battle. Oh yes, like iconic. Again oh, yes. for the for the time, and you know it kind of was like the beginning of the elves honoring their alliance to men, which had kind of been broken after like the initial battles like a long long time ago so like the elves kind of showing up to helm's deep to help was like a huge thing and then just it was just crazy absolutely crazy one thing that i do like is i like the gimli legolas like bromance (laughs) i feel like helm's deep is where you really kind of see it for the first time where they're constantly challenging each other as to who kills the most orcs and who's yeah. better, dwarves or, or elves. It's it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one of those bright moments in the, this uh, story. As it goes along, it gets darker and darker, both literally and figuratively. Yeah, which, I mean, it's, it is kind of symbolism, obviously, as Frodo gets closer to, you know... Mount Doom, everything gets darker. Everything kind of gets more sinister in the movies. So, you know, I thought that was a a great use of symbolism from Peter Jackson, you know, to show how much more difficult it's getting, getting closer to destroying the ring and, and things. It's not just a walk in the park, you know, that Frodo and Sam are doing. It's It's not easy, not easy at all. Yeah. Um, and I thought Andy Circus, who plays Gollum, did a fantastic job. I mean, the guy is like an expert at all things uh, CGI and motion capture <laughs> at this point. Seriously, he really is. 
<laughs> I mean, if he wanted to retire from acting and stuff, he could be a, like a professor, you know, teaching acting students how to prepare yeah. yourselves for this when you get your acting jobs later. Yeah. You know, he's done it so many times that you almost like, it's almost weird to see him as a human. <laughs> yeah. In a movie, you know, like even watching like Black Panther. Yeah, because like, Black Panther is the last, <laughs> was the last one that he's been or, in. The or like Ultron. I'm like, yeah. Like yeah. Ultron, I'm like, dude, you're Gollum. <laughs> I know. It's, it's like you, you don't, it's like, you see him and you're like, why are you acting? Why are you not covered in CGI balls? <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> it's like, you should not. No, this is wrong. But yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it is a pretty good movie that is like the middle of the saga where you are getting a lot of things happening. Uh, you got multiple characters with multiple storylines happening. Um, but they're slowly converging together, which is good. Um, yeah, you kind of see how big of a picture this whole thing really is. Yep. Totally do. And I appreciate, like, there's, like, a lot of things happening. Like, it's not just, you know, tons and tons of exposition. And there's actually, like, you know, stuff happening. It's not just talking heads. It yeah. was a good mix of action sequences and storytelling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just gratuitous action sequences throughout. They actually drove the film forward. Right. You know. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I like a gratuitous um, action movie where it's just nothing but just explosions everywhere for like just the sake of having an explosion. But sometimes it's just like, it's like, okay, that's enough. Yeah. Something else. <laughs> and this did a really good job of putting it in there, but driving the, the movie forwards. Yeah. No, I, I was reminded, like, the funny thing with the Battle of Helm's Deep is the fact that um, it's all supposed to be set at night, and it is, you know, pretty dark, and yet it's still well lit enough that you can actually see what's going on, which I, which I thought was kind of funny to bring up because um, it, there's a lot of comparisons between um, the uh, infamous uh, episode uh, three in the eighth season of... Uh, game of thrones where yeah. it was also set at night but uh they clearly didn't use enough uh set lighting or because i don't know about you mary but when i so i literally had to turn off the lights in my living room to even be able to try to see anything <laughs> because well, I watched, dark was. yeah I, I i watched it in the dark to, i watched tv in the dark as much as i can anyway just because i like right. it that way but yeah, I was like, okay, what the hell is going on? Yeah. It's like, who is who and what is going on? I can't tell. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, okay, sorry not to, like, not to drag Game of Thrones into this, but it's, but I had to bring that up because of the fact that, like, uh, Martin himself had, you know, used uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy and Tolkien in general as like one of his inspirations, his role models uh, when he was developing A Song of Ice and Fire. So, you know, 
that's why, like, when that episode came out and people were complaining about the lighting that they did or rather didn't do when they filmed it, you know, it was like this negative comparison to Battle of Helm's Deep, where, like, you had a nighttime battle, lots of things were happening, you know, fighting going, fire, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, they still managed to find lighting so you can still see what the heck is going on, and yet it's still nighttime. And you guys can't do it on HBO? I mean, come on. Peter Jackson paid his electric bill. <laughs> Clearly. But what's funny is, like, that Helm's Deep scene, you know, in the movie is probably about five, ten minutes long. It took them months to film to the point that every single person that worked on that set, extras included, all got a shirt that said, I survived Helm's Deep. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is awesome. Like, I want one. Uh, you survived it in more ways than one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. And uh, just one more. Uh, I thought this was a funny trivia. So the orcs, they're called Orakai, right? So they, I guess, put out a request for extras for six-foot guys. They didn't get enough, so they allowed, like, up to five-foot guys. And anyone that was under six-foot, instead of being called or Kai, the like uh, crew and everything called them uh, or Orc Low or whatever, like making fun because they're shorter. So it's Orc High and Orc Low. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you got to find some kind of humor where you know, you gotta, you can... <laughs> oh boy, but yeah, no, I thought it was a, a good bridge from the first mm-hmm. movie to the last movie. Yeah, and it did have a little bit of a cliffhanger in terms of Gollum because when he's saying that he's going to uh, betray Frodo and Sam, he keeps talking about this mysterious her, and obviously we don't know who this her is until the last movie. Okay, um, I guess if uh, we got nothing else, and I'll try to summarize the third movie as best as I can. <laughs> it is not easy. It's a little easier than Game of Thrones, but you. Know. All right, so the final movie of the trilogy is The Return of the King. Okay, so we start off with, uh, we get a brief scene, a brief flashback in the beginning of the movie where we see a little bit of the origin of Gollum, which is kind of sad and twisted how, you know, greed and stuff can corrupt you to the point where you'll kill somebody in your own family to get something very sad but hey you know that's the character so the movie proper the the story proper rather uh picks up where um all the people that were at helm's deep um basically head back to the capital except for a small party who decide to head off to isengard to confront saruman but of course, they didn't know that the Ents had confronted him first um, in the previous movie. But they quickly find out that they did, and they have him surrounded and trapped in his tower. Uh, the four members of the Fellowship are reunited with two more members, uh, Mary and Pippin, who've been hanging out with the Ents this entire time. Um, eventually, Saruman gets killed. 
and they go exploring the tower where they realize that Saruman has a uh, magic ball, uh, magic uh, seeing ball, crystal ball thing, uh, a palantir, uh, with which he can use to communicate with Saruman and also do some of his magical spying with it. And Gandalf decides, you know what, uh, let me take a hold of this thing and make sure nobody else gets it. So he has it. And the rest of the party decides to head back to Edoras, which is, of course, the capital of Rohan, to celebrate the victory with everybody else. Um, Pippin, being a being somebody who is a little too curious for his own good, decides to uh, take a looky-loo at uh, the Palantir and uh, Saruman. Sorry, Sauron uh, sees him, and Pippin manages to get visions implying that uh, something bad is going to happen to Gondor in the near future. Which results in Gandalf uh, deciding to take Pippin with him to uh, Gondor to warn them that uh, Sauron has his uh, eye, if you will, on them next. And uh, the rest of the Fellowship and um, the Kingdom, uh, the Riders of Rohan are going to eventually follow behind them as soon as they are done preparing for the travel. Uh, meanwhile, we turn back to Frodo, Sam, and Gollum, still traveling uh, deeper and deeper into Mordor, uh, or at least the general direction of there, and uh, Gollum decides to take advantage of this uh, situation to uh, betray them. Um... <clears throat> So he sets up some situations to cause some conflict between Sam and Frodo, and uh, it almost works when Frodo gets kidnapped by a giant uh, spider who wants to eat him. Um, fortunately, Sam proves to be a super loyal best friend, traveling companion, and saves the day and rescues. Uh, Frodo from being uh, spider food. Um, and uh, some more uh, conflict happens where uh, poor Frodo gets uh, attacked by the spider. And, uh, you know, it's not going very well for him. He's uh, not feeling very well because, you know, you get uh, injected with spider poison. It doesn't... It, you, you, you kind of don't feel well if you don't get uh, treated for it. Um, meanwhile, we go back to Rohan where they are all heading out to Gondor to help fight uh, the inevitable uh, forces of Sauron who are going to attack pretty soon. Um, and we do get uh, a little bit more development for Aragorn um, along the way. Uh, since the first movie, we find out bits and pieces more about his background, including the fact that he's technically the heir to the throne of Gondor, and he should actually be the king ruling Gondor, but because of his troubled family history, he feels like he 
is not worthy and doesn't deserve to be the king, even though pretty much everybody around him tells him, no, no, you, you kind of deserve it. You, you should be the king. You should be the king and uh, take control of the situation happening in Gondor because uh, things are getting kind of messy over there. Um, speaking of which, we head to Gondor where eventually Gandalf and Pippin show up to warn them that, uh, yeah, Sauron is uh, sending his army there to attack. And uh, the person who is currently ruling Gondor on behalf of the missing king is the steward who happens to be the father of Boromir and Faramir. And um, the guy has uh, gone off the deep end a bit. Um, he's developed a lot of paranoia tr over the years trying to protect the kingdom from Sauron. And uh, the fact that his favorite child, Boromir, died has made him even more unhinged and um, more hard on his surviving younger son, who he feels is a disappointment. A-plus parenting there. Denethor is, of course, very, very skeptical, very paranoid, and, uh, you know, not uh, fully trusting of these interfering wizards who, you know, haven't done much of anything to help them thus far, which is why he is very interested in getting the ring and convinced Boromir to try to get the ring back for them, which we already tragically saw what happened to that in the first movie. Um, eventually, the battle happens. Um, Faramir gets a gets wounded and he's knocked out unconscious and of course like I was saying before Denethor is a bit uh you know is not mentally doing very well and he assumes that uh his alive but unconscious younger son is actually dead and tries to put him on a funeral pyre and uh Gandalf realizes that, no, actually, your son is not really dead, but you're about to kill him because you're putting him on a funeral pyre and manages to rescue the poor guy before he is actually killed. But uh, Denethor uh, has been, like, so troubled by all his losses that he was prepared to kill himself as well, along with his uh, younger son. But, of course, Faramir got rescued, and Denethor realizes too late what he's done and he ends up jumping um, off a balcony in the castle and there he goes and now Faramir is technically the new steward running things until the king eventually comes back. Meanwhile the riders of Rohan and the rest of the fellowship are finally arriving at Gondor and they join the battle fighting orcs and Nazgul and uh those giant war elephant things. Um, truly an epic battle. Truly an epic battle. Um, which, of course, they eventually won, but um, some losses happen, um, including the death of King Theoden. Um, and Eowyn uh, snuck into the army, disguising herself as a man to help fight, despite the fact that everybody around her says, you shouldn't do this, you should stay back in the capital and run things while the rest of us are fighting because it's not worth it. But she wants to prove that she is a worthy warrior. And uh, as it turns out, it's kind of a good thing she snuck into the army to help fight because um, 
Theoden got confronted by the leader of the Nazgul, Witch King, and is eventually killed by said Witch King. Um, Eowyn and Mary try to help the fallen Theoden uh, by confronting the Witch King. And of course, the Witch King says, you know, there's a prophecy that says that no man can kill me. And of course, that is when we get the epic scene of Eowyn taking off her helmet, proving that, aha, I am no man. I am a woman, and they do battle, and with Mary's help, they kill the Witch King, who was previously undefeated. Um, and of course, her close approximation dealing with the Witch King results in her getting injured, and she falls slowly, slowly, potentially dying. Um, and the battle is eventually won. Uh, let's see. Meanwhile... Um, we follow back to Sam and Frodo. They are slowly making their way to Mount Doom. And, uh, after much difficulty, uh, between, you know, the perils of heading into a volcano, obviously, and, uh, Gollum still trying to get the ring, Frodo does manage to drop the ring into the volcano. And, of course, Gollum, being completely obsessed with getting the ring, tries to get the ring back but he falls off and into the chasm where he dies and the ring falls into the lava melting 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 um and of course sauron because he is connected to the ring and the ring being destroyed he kind of explodes along with mount doom and his cursed kingdom is slowly crumbling as well and poor sam and frodo are stuck there uh with kind of no way out um but fortunately they do have uh friends still with uh some magical abilities um gandalf manages to come to the rescue with some uh helpful flying eagles um to bring the two hobbits to safety where eventually the fellowship is reunited and aragorn having survived the battle finally accepts his responsibility and his duty to be the king of Gondor, and everybody shows up for the coronation. Um, and, and, if, and he marries uh, Arwen, who becomes the queen. Um, and of course, we get the multiple endings of see what happens to the various characters, um, including um, the elves, Gandalf, uh, Bilbo and Frodo heading off to the Undying Land forever. Sam returns to the Shire where he becomes the new owner of Bag End, which was the home of uh, the Baggins family for generations. And he decides to write his own book of adventures, recording everything that happened in the three mo basically the three movies. That's about it. No, I think you got all the major parts. Um, okay. You know, the the battles are definitely, you know, huge. Um, I can't remember. Did you mention how um Aragorn got the dead kings? No, I didn't get I didn't mention that part. Uh okay. Yeah. So pretty much uh while you know, in like the middle of everything when 
um, the riders from Rohan are heading toward Gollum. Aragorn and Legolas and uh, Gimli separate. Aragorn had spoken with um, Elderon, or Elrond, excuse me, um, who's like in charge of the elves. He's Arwen's father. Was talking about how Arwen's dying because she's refusing to leave Middle Earth, and shows him the fu- his future where he's going to have a son, and kind of shows him how he should be king of uh, Gondor, and gives him the fixed sword of uh, King um, Elendil's sword from Narsal, um, and that's. That was, like, a huge thing in, like, the battles from long ago that that sword, you know, disappeared. So he went to the, um, he went basically to the Dead Men's Lair and released the cursed kings that couldn't, you know, basically rest in peace. And by showing him the, showing them his, his sword that, you know, now they, they trust him and they know that he will, you know, fulfilled that promise of letting them rest in peace. So they come and they help during the first battle and then they are able to rest in peace. And that's kind of like a big thing. And I think that's really when Aragorn realized like, okay, like he is the rightful King. Like he, he does need to take up that mantle when this is done. So, and then the second battle is obviously in order to help Frodo and Sam reach Mount Doom, they want to, uh, you know, almost like march up to the gate so that the orcs will attack them instead of going after Frodo and Sam. I think that's the only thing that I would add. Other than that, though, I think it did well. Again, great movie. I'm trying, I don't know if this would necessarily be my favorite, but it was definitely, you know, again, action-packed all over the place. I mean, the battles, again, were amazing. And then, obviously, you get that final thing. Everything is is done. Frodo did what he had to do. Sam Wise actually gets married and has a kid. Um, You know, Aragorn and Arwen get married. And, you know, it's kind of like a happily ever after for everybody. And at the end, when they do go to the Undying Lands, like, the other hobbits don't realize that Frodo's going with them so they're actually Sam I think more than anyone is actually very upset because now he's he's never going to see him again so it's a bittersweet ending yeah um yeah I I thought the movie overall was very good um very like it it was it was a good way to end a saga um you got a lot of epic battles you have a lot of these storylines resolved by the end of it um, I guess, like, the one negative I would have is that, like, I'm sure you've heard many people say this, but, like, the ending of the movie was done in a way that felt kind of strange, because it's like, you think it, the movie's over, and then, and then you see another scene, and then you think it's over, and then you see another scene, I'm, I don't know, like, the way... Yeah, they, they kept, like, whiting out Yeah, the I scenes, mean, so you think it's over. Yeah, it, it it felt that felt a little awkward because it, it, and a little confusing because it's like God, is this over yet? Is this over? Is this the end yet? <laughs> In fact, like I remember there was this interview with Joe 
uh, Wood did um, on the Graham Norton show like a few years back where he shared this anecdote where he was like he was like doing one of the presentation you know war presentation things at the Oscars and he was backstage and I guess like Jack Nicholson was back there as well and they some and they wound up talking about Lord of the Rings Jack actually basically told him that like he didn't like the this movie because of how there's too many endings (laughs) And then, like he actually left the movie before all the endings or ending scenes were over. He was like, there's just too many of them. It was confusing. I don't know what's going on. I thought that was funny. Uh, <laughs> that is very funny. Uh, um one one little extra that or uh trivia that I'll add in is for the battle at the Black Gate, they actually got members of the New Zealand army brought in to be extras, which I think is really cool they did that but apparently they were so enthusiastic that they kept breaking the swords and spears that's not good <laughs> they they were just too excited <laughs> pretty funny uh um, yeah okay i mean to be fair like you know you're 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 doing like your fantasy of you know sword fighting and stuff like that you know so i could imagine they would get over enthusiastic about it right right but no, I thought um, besides that, I, I do understand what you're saying. But besides that, no, I thought it ended um, well. And, you know, when I first saw it, I was like, what are the Undying Lands? Like, I don't get it. But it's kind of like a, a heaven type of deal. You know, like if you want to think of it like that, you know, it's like they're going to like the, the next life. Yeah. Via yeah. boat. Yeah. Yeah, I think oh. it's supposed to be like a re- like I mean, you guys read actually read the books at some points in time. So this is all based off of like the limited research I did, but like my understanding was was that like um I think they're like originally the place where the elves came from. But then something happened in the past where they basically got expelled and that's how they ended up on Middle-earth. And at different points in time, elves could choose to leave Middle-earth and go back to the Undying Lands. Or, or am I mixing up locations here? Uh, God, it's been so long. Like, when I say it's been a long time, it's been a long time. So I'll get back to people on that. We'll post about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, like, I, I never actually read the My limited understanding is based off of what I read a while back online but again i don't know how much of that is true or not those of you who are bigger tolkien experts uh would know and can correct us oh interesting so i'm just looking and apparently there's three different editors one for each movie huh okay which is which is interesting so that could be why like it it seemed a little off because it was definitely a different editor but yeah I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense because um, they were released, like, basically one after the other each year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a lot of time to edit the movies. Yeah. So with these three films, just in U.S. and Canada alone, they made over a billion dollars in the box office. Yeah. Crazy. Worldwide, they made over $2 billion. Almost, They made almost $3 billion worldwide 
box office. Truly epic. Truly epic. The highest one was definitely Return of the King. That was ranked highest, um, you know, kind of did the best in terms of box office. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. And like I said, like, there's a mixed response with book lovers. And I guess it's, you know, with me, like, it's not like I read the book and, and I was like, oh, my God, like, this is like the best thing ever. Like, the only time I've ever gotten upset about a, a book to movie adaptation was the Harry Potter movies, because uh, there was just some, they just, they didn't focus on the correct things and it actually hurt the storyline. But, um, but with this, I thought all of the changes and the things that were made from book to movie, from what I remember, nothing drastically changed the story to where, like, you couldn't recognize it, you know, like you could recognize the story. Um, in all three movies, yeah. so that's why, like, I never got any. You know, I didn't go really like crazy with anything. That's good. No, I mean seriously, it is good. Sometimes, sometimes like book to movie adaptations don't always turn out one hundred percent good. Return of the King was nominated for eleven Oscars and won all eleven, including Best Picture. So look at that. The other two were nominated for Best Picture but didn't win. Right. So yeah, basically, I the the whole trilogy. I remember when I when I was watching uh, Return of the King for the for the first time, I had gotten my wisdom teeth taken out, <laughs> and my mom went and bought the DVD, and I just sat there with all the gauze in my mouth <laughs> watching Return of the King. <laughs> uh, the things you remember. You were injured yeah. just like you were in a battle, too. Yeah. <laughs> and my teeth ripped out. Thanks for listening, everyone. Catch us next time. And see what we're going to talk about. Because the three fates decide.